Hey friends, welcome back to Ordinary People and Extraordinary Lives. My name is Lance Bain. Good to have you with me again on our little podcast designed to help us experience the grace of God while living, leading, and overcoming life's everyday challenges. Happy week to you. Hope you're doing well. Things are going good in the Bain house. Of course, everybody's got some challenges, but overall, so much to be grateful for. Really grateful for the health of my family and great relationships with my kids and surrounded by good friends that were working hard together. And I'm glad that you are with me. If you want to know more about me, check out LanceBain.com, L-A-N-C-E-B-A-N-E.com. As always, you can find many resources there and you can hit me up. Send me an email. Let me know how you're doing. Let me know if there's a topic that you would love for me to talk about. And as always, if you wouldn't mind leaving a review wherever you may be listening, share this with your friends and leave us a rating. If you find this content helpful for you, then why wouldn't you want to pass that along to your friends that are also interested in growing as a leader? We want you to be a healthy leader. We want you to be a happy leader and a leader that leaves a very awesome legacy. So let's talk about today on today's episode 164. Man, I got to be honest, pause for a moment. When I first started this podcast, I never dreamed that we would be at episode 164. Maybe my dreaming was too small, but here we are, episode 164. Today, I want to talk about what every leader needs, what every leader needs. Again, if you listen to the podcast much, you know that I'm a person of faith, and there's an interesting reality, an interesting uh, situation that happens in the story of creation with Adam and Eve and in the life of Jesus. I want to use that as a basis for talking about leadership today. If you were to read the story of Adam and Eve's creation and their placement in the Garden of Eden, when they are tempted by the enemy of God, the enemy of themselves, they're shown a piece of fruit, and Eve looks at it, and she makes a couple of statements. And basically what she reveals to us is that all people, every person, is susceptible to three great temptations, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh. Fast forward thousands of years when Jesus, the Son of God, who had been sent by God to reconcile all people to the Father and to offer every person forgiveness of their sins and to be brought back into a loving and powerful and intimate relationship with their Creator, God, when Jesus enters into the wilderness after his baptism in, say, I think it's Matthew chapter 3 or Matthew chapter 4, we find that Jesus also encounters these three great temptations, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh. Now, what Adam and Eve could not overcome, Jesus did overcome. And I'm here today to tell you as a leader, and maybe this is bad news, but we as leaders still face the same three temptations, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh. I want to talk about each of those, and I want to talk about what you need to give healthy leadership in the midst of these temptations. How do we not only resist these temptations, how do we thrive and flourish and be successful as healthy, integral leaders 
full of hope, full of life, full of trust, full of character, even in the midst of the temptation. So let's talk about first one, pride of life, the pride of life. What is that? You know, leaders often face the idea of perks and status. You're introduced at a speaking event and all of your accolades are laid out before the listening audience. You Maybe a leader in a smaller setting, a small group, some kind of a church, and you are uh, recognizing that you have power and you have influence, you have position and perks and status, and and you have a, a platform by which you can really exercise your gifts and your charisma. What I have learned in 30 years is that the pride of life, pride really, is just a way in which we mask our insecurities. We work hard to prove things to our naysayers that we can be successful. I have several friends that are very successful businessmen, businesswomen, and when you can dig below the surface of their success, and it is great success with lots of work, what you often find is that they were trying to prove something to someone they loved who believed they wouldn't be successful, that I am successful. And that is the pride of life. It masks our insecurities, our fears, our failures. I remember one time when I was had a lot of pride going on in my life, and I probably knew it, but wouldn't really acknowledge it. And one particular day, it came flooding into my soul. It confronted me, and I sat in my car, and I shook, and I felt physically sick at the amount of pride that I had allowed to grow in my heart and in my soul. And I sat there, and I just began to confess that pride and verbalize that pride. And what I learned is that my pride was a form of superiority, that as long as my pride makes others feel smaller, therefore I feel bigger, and my superiority is really masking my feelings of inferiority, because that's what I really believed was true, that I'm inferior. But rather than let you know that I feel inferior, I'm going to lean into the pride of life and put on a persona of superiority, which A, is inauthentic and unhealthy to who I am, and B, it is unfair to the other person and not true about them. The pride of life. Leaders face this. This is a real temptation for leaders. So what do we do about it? What is the great antidote? I think the great vaccine against the virus of the pride of life is humility. Humility is working from a place of your strengths and also working on our weaknesses. Humility is a healthy self-awareness. It's being really in touch with your emotions and your needs, with your fears and your dreams and getting below even just the surface of the emotion, but really asking yourselves, why do I feel this way? What do I need? What's really going on in my heart? Humility is thinking about others more than we think about ourselves. Humility is an attitude. I remember one particular Bible verse in Philippians chapter 2, where the author of this letter to this church community in Philippi, he says, Take the same attitude as Jesus and your love towards one another. Be like Jesus. Have the attitude like Jesus. Well, what was that attitude? It's a canonic love attitude. It's a self-emptying, a self-giving of love for the benefit of others kind of attitude. So how do we deal with the pride of life? Well, let's cultivate humility.
What is the second temptation that reveals what we need? It is the lust of the eyes. Lust of the eyes is about greed. It's about insecurity as well. It's also about possessions, that we are known more by the labels we wear, the car we drive, the devices we have, where our office is located or where we live or the size of our bank account or the size of our jewelry or how many likes and followers and shares and this and that. And we can get caught up in the lust of the eyes that we want to give people an image of us. It's not really true to who we are and we're working really hard to keep up with our own image and our own brand. And really, the lust of the eyes and the greed is all, can I be honest with this, it stems from a poverty heart and a poverty way of thinking. Deep down, we often believe that we're never enough, that we're simply not enough, and so we can mask it with the lust of the eyes, greed and possessions. And even leaning into the kind of eye things like pornography and lust and things like that that create a false sense of connection, a false sense of success. Leaders have to be really careful about the lust of the eyes. Friends, be careful about that. Be careful about the lust of the eyes. You got to run away from it. You got to run for your life from this one because it is so damaging and damning and dangerous. So, what do we need? How do we resist this temptation of the lust of the eyes, the desire for power through being visible in what we have and what we project? The great vaccine for the virus of the lust of the eyes is generosity. It is radical generosity. Listen, our generosity as leaders needs to be larger and more radical than whatever the lust of the eyes may be, than whatever it may be. Generosity disempowers greed. I love that idea. That greed shackles us up and puts us in chains, but generosity comes and unshackles us and it disempowers greed. Generosity is the real source of joy. Not our accumulation, but our giving away is the real source of joy. Generosity is a saying that I believe in others, and I want to be generous with my resources to lift others up, to help them go further, to help them be successful, to help them have a healthier, happier life, to be with them in times of lament and in times of celebration. I want to be generous to other people. You know, Rick Warren said that uh, you often spell give, (laughs) L-O-V-E. Give, you spell it L-O-V-E, for God so loved the world that he gave. You know, friends, giving is one way that we can role model the very nature of our creator, being radically generous. And let me just offer this uh, word of wisdom, something for you to think about. Don't be as concerned about what people do with your generosity as much as it is you being obedient to generosity. Sometimes if I'm, for example, led to give money to a friend or even to the peddler on the street corner, I often think, well, there's going to use this money to go buy this or go buy that, and I don't really want to support that. Listen, if, if I feel impressed to give money, then give the money. It's not my responsibility what they do with it. It's my responsibility to be generous and to be a lover. Now, some would say, hey, you're not being a good steward. You know, you could give that money to other people for other things. 
When I talk about generosity, I'm talking about following the nudgings and the promptings that you have to be generous. And when we live generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure, you really disempower the lust of the eyes. How about the lust of the flesh? That third monster that reveals what we need as a leader because we need humility and we need generosity. What do we need to combat the lust of the flesh? Well, the lust of the flesh is about pleasure, where the pride of life is about position and the eyes are about possessions. The lust of the flesh is about pleasure. It's about being focused on ourselves. It hits us when we are at our weakest. The lust of the flesh. When are you most vulnerable to the lust of the flesh? Had a conversation with a friend many years ago, and we were talking about this particular subject. And I asked him, I said, you know, when are you most susceptible to the idea of the lust of the flesh and all of its forms? And he said, when I'm most fatigued. When I am fatigued, I find myself to be most vulnerable. He said, how about you? I thought about it for a moment. And I said, you know, when I feel not honored by my family, if I feel disconnected from my family, that's when I feel most vulnerable to the lust of the flesh. And, and what I really loved about that is we moved beyond the lust of the flesh as a problem and we went really to the root, which is fatigue in his case. And in my case, it was not feeling intimately connected, you know, like honored by my family, celebrated by my family, appreciated by my family, for whatever reason, that was important to me. And so when my friend is fatigued, he would go seek self-soothing issues in other forms of the lust of the flesh, whether that be food or whatever it may be. And me, I'm looking for affirmation and acceptance and appreciation in other spaces as well. Friends, the lust of the flesh is a real enemy. It is a real temptation that leaders have to deal with. And don't hide it. Don't mask it. But let's deal with it. And it's about this mixture of knowing that leadership is a sacred calling, but it gets mixed up with the flesh. How do we, how do we allow our flesh to be an instrument of the sacred calling rather than corrupting the sacred calling of being a leader, of knowing that we've been given unbelievable and profound influence to shape, to form, to lead, to um, contribute to other, other people, 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 human beings, precious, precious people. And so the great vaccine to the virus of the lust of the flesh is integrity. Integrity. We need humility for the pride of life. We need generosity for the lust of the eyes. And we need integrity for the lust of the flesh. Because integrity is about wholeness. Integrity is about safety and honesty. It's about knowing what steps we can take to find safety and honesty. I remember in 2011, I was struggling with certain areas of my life. and the Integrity wasn't as robust as I had hoped for. And I made a decision to go see a therapist and say, hey, you know what? This part of my life is really not healthy. It's not whole. It's fractured. And I feel its influence. And I, I'm experiencing the toxicity of this tattered area of my life. And seeing a counselor really <laughs> saved me. And it brought safety and it brought honesty and it brought wholeness. I love integrity because it's the expression of a strong identity about who we really are. And it's how we communicate to the world, I am secure. 
Hey, can I, can I just want to be honest with you and tell you what you need today as a leader? <laughs> Even if you don't think you need them, I know you need them. You know, at 51, I've got enough life behind me, 30 years of leadership behind me. I know what you need. I know what I need. I can at least count off three of them. I can, I can give you three items that ought to be on your, in your Instacart list at the leadership store. It is humility and generosity and integrity. These are the three great needs that we have that can help us overcome the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh. Now, let me offer you just three very practical uh, steps that you can take. One for humility, one for generosity, and one for integrity. Then these might be good starter steps, action steps, um, that you can use to help you begin to grow in each of these areas. You know, take a moment and reflect and maybe ask a couple of close friends. Do you perceive me as a humble person? And do you perceive me as a generous person? Do you perceive me as someone with integrity? And, and, and by the way, you need to ask somebody that's going to be, <laughs> be honest with you. Don't ask the president of your fan club. Is he going to say, oh, yeah, you're the most humble person, generous person, the most integral person. You have so much integrity. Oh, my God, I wish the whole world were like you, blah, 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 blah. You need to find somebody that's going to be really honest with you. That doesn't mind looking at you in the face and saying, you're, you're actually not that humble. <laughs> or, no, you're kind of stingy, actually. It's not just that you're greedy, but maybe you're just stingy and you're not very liberal with your uh, generosity. And, no, you don't have an integrity, actually. You don't follow through when you say things. You brush people off. You're not very present. You don't do what you say. You're going to, like, you need somebody that will be honest with you. All right, so what's the first step in humility? Well, one step I think you can take is to volunteer outside your comfort zone. Volunteer outside your comfort zone. What can you do as a volunteer maybe once a month or maybe more, more um, consistent than that? Can you do that gets you outside your comfort zone? Like if, if you're an introvert, maybe it's working at a soup kitchen that requires you to talk to people. Maybe it's volunteering opportunities at work or maybe humility is doing something outside of your role. You know, for some who are given status and prestige, maybe going down and saying, you know what, I'm going to mop the atrium today. I'm going to do something that is outside my scope and scale that if I had done it before this, I would look down on it and see it as less than but humility doesn't see it as less than. Humility sees all these things as important. So I would encourage you to volunteer uh, outside your comfort zone. Second, for generosity, what's one thing you can do? Uh, start giving more. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty simple. Just start giving more and spending less. Look at your budget. Maybe you say, do I really need another one of this? You fill in the blank. And just start giving more. Give to your local church. Uh, give more. Give to a, a food shelter. There's so many giving opportunities online with the war going on in the Middle East or countries that are facing famine or just basic generosity to a local not-for-profit organization that's doing great work. I happen to lead a church, and I think that's a great place where you can give. Maybe you can give like 1% of your income or 5%. Ultimately, in a church, we encourage people get to a place where you can give away 10% of your local of your income to your local church to help them do the good work of serving their city and serving missionaries around the world. For integrity, the one idea I have is get healthy. You know, consider seeing a counselor, find a mentor, get healthy and deal with what's causing you to stumble, all right? Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to this podcast what every leader needs humility, generosity, and integrity. I love you guys. 
Have a healthy week. Have a hopeful week. And I'll talk to you again on our next episode.